as always, it is a pleasure and a privilege to uh, be able to expound on the gospel that's been left for us. I'm going to do things a little bit differently today. Normally I preach just from a, from my computer, and I've got all my notes and stuff written on there. But because I'm using my laptop for a PowerPoint today, I had to go, I'm going to say old school and get pen and paper. So while we wait on this to kind of heat up and get going, uh, let, me, let me tell you the whole story of the Bible. <laughs> it's really simple, and it can be done in three parts. Christ is coming. That's the Old Testament. Christ is coming. Then we read that Christ is here, and that's the Gospels. And what we're going to talk about today is Christ is coming again. I told you, it wouldn't take too long. That's the whole story of the Bible right there. Christ is coming. Christ is here. Christ is coming again. And we're going to talk about the second coming of Christ for a couple of reasons. First of all, our singing this afternoon will be about that. Our, the topic, the theme is watch and pray. So we're looking for, praying for the second coming of Christ. And another reason, there's a lot of, um, a lot of misrepresentation of Scripture regarding the second coming of Christ. So hopefully we'll kind of clear the air this morning. Um, and all be on the same page with the manner in which Christ is coming back. So the first thing we're going to look at, we're going to look at the assurance that we have as, of his coming. And I've got a lot of verses, so here's my outline. Here's my verses. We've got a lot of verses we're going to look at, and I printed them out so we, maybe we can save time in, in flipping uh, to it while I read. So the first person that we need to know assured of us of his own coming was Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus himself assures us that he is coming again. Jesus says in the beginning of John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, so believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where you go, you know, and the way you know. Jesus states that he will come again. Next uh, being, we'll say, the next part that assures us of his coming again is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is talked about in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 through 28. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin and for salvation. Well, you can say, well, that's the, the Hebrew writer. But we know that this Holy Spirit is speaking through these inspired men. So the Holy Spirit has told us and assured us that he is coming again. The angels even say that Jesus is coming again. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, the uh, apostles are, are meeting kind of after um, the Jesus' uh, resurrection from the dead. Jesus is with them another 40 days. He's still with them here in Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 9. I, I tell you what, let me, let's go back to verse 6. So I, I want to read this passage because we'll, we'll hit it in a little bit. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking about restoring 
the kingdom in a physical kind of sense. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father's put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here's where the angels assure us that he is coming again. Verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Those two men were not there before. They didn't notice them there. And so I think it's not a far-gone conclusion for us to say, well, these are angels telling these men that Jesus will come again. And another assurance that we have that Jesus will come again is the apostles. The apostles say that Christ will come again. They say this time and time again. If we read 1 John chapter 3, uh, John writes, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. In Colossians 3, Paul writes, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. These apostles witnessed Christ on this earth. These apostles those who are there would have seen him ascend into heaven and they are giving us an assurance that he will come again so second peter chapter 3 and verse 9 the lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but is long suffering towards us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? The apostles, the angels, the Holy Spirit, and Christ himself have told us that Christ is coming again. So we can be assured that this is going to take place. Well, your next rational kind of question was say, well, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? There have been many, many, many people who have tried to nail down a date and time for the coming of Christ. If we think about our um, brethren that were in Thessalonica, Paul writes to them because they thought it was soon. They had been baptized and they said, well, it's going to be within the week when Christ comes back. And so Paul writes to them, and we're going to be in Thessalonians a lot uh, this morning. And he wrote to them saying, Keep on going about your life because you don't know when and where it's going to be. They were thinking that, well, we're just going to sit on our porches because we're going to watch for Jesus. Right attitude, wrong action. Yes, we're watching and we're praying. But as we'll see later on, well, as we know now, Jesus has not come back yet. And that's been 2,000 years or so. There's, there's um, all kinds of people. There was uh, the Millerist. Uh, William Miller in the 1830s, he was a, a, an American farmer, sheriff, um, justice of the peace kind of guy. And he did some, some studying in his Bible, and he came up with 1843. He said, 1843, on this specific day, Christ will come back. Well, he got a following. 50,000, 100,000 people followed uh, William Miller. They're called the Millerists. And 
1843 came, 1843 went. And he said, oh, no, 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 I've, I've got it wrong. I, I went back to Daniel chapter 8. That's where he was getting his information from. I went back to Daniel chapter 8 and said, well, actually, it's going to be 1844, October 22nd, 1844. And so October 22nd, 1844 came, and then it went. And then once you get things wrong once, you can kind of say, okay, well, maybe you did the math wrong. But once you get it wrong twice, he lost all his following after that. Um, there, are, there are many, many others that just on their own uh, devising and their own studying have tried to nail down a date. Then there are those that will come and um, not try and nail down a date, but they will say, well, when Jesus comes, he's going to reign on this earth. He'll have a, a literal 1,000-year reign on this earth, which we know cannot be the case. As we'll look at in a second, the, the, the kingdom is already here. Uh, these people think that uh, those who would adhere to this premillennialist kind of doctrine would believe that the Jews rejected Jesus, and that was not in God's plan, so they say. And since the Jews rejected Jesus, they could not be converted. And then because they could not be converted, plan B kicked in with God, and he made this church thing. And so then... These, the, uh, those who would adhere to premillennialism would say that when Jesus Christ does come, well, then that's when the kingdom will come. Hold on to that idea because we're going to disprove all of those things. And then there are others, um, those who call themselves witnesses of Jehovah, and they basically say that, well, the second coming has come already. They would say in the late 1870s or so is when it came and it's still going on. There are all kinds of uh, misrepresentations of Scripture to get people to fall for this belief that we know the time and the place that Jesus is going to come. But if you follow with me, so for Second uh, Peter chapter three, we've already read. Second Peter chapter three um, states that we don't know the hour, we don't know the day, and the Scripture often uses these figures. So the figures that are used in Scripture are the thief in the night. Second Peter chapter three. Let's turn to First Thessalonians chapter five. And if you've got a bookmark, you might as well keep a bookmark in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we'll be going back there a good bit. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 also uses this thief in the night figure, but it also uses a sudden destruction. And this is all we know about the time that Jesus will come back. So starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse uh, 3. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. There's our thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, which was a common phrase, they would say that nothing is wrong, peace and safety. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, they shall not escape. And you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. And he was um, exhorting them to be ready for this day. But they did not know when the day was going to be. So we know we can be assured of his coming. We saw that Jesus told us he was coming, that the angels told us he was coming, the Holy Spirit told us he was coming, the apostles told us he was coming. But when he is coming, we don't know. The time, we don't know. Well, the scriptures can be pretty clear about the manner in which he's coming. So let's go into this. The manner in which he's coming. If you're in 1 Thessalonians, look back at chapter 4, because we know that he is coming in person. He's not sending someone else to do his bidding. He's not sending a prophet or giving a revelation to someone. When Jesus comes a second time, the final time that he will come to this earth, he is coming in person. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So we know that he is coming in person. He's not sending a, uh, a, a diplomat of sorts. He's not sending someone else. This is Jesus the Christ coming back for the second time. We also know that he's coming as he ascended. And we read there in Acts chapter 1 that he ascended um, from the Mount of Olivet. Um, he ascended on a cloud into heaven. If we turn back there and read what these angels said about the um, second coming of Jesus, they state this same Jesus... Once again, saying it's going to be Jesus himself. This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus will, just as he ascended into heaven, he will come back. And this one's fun to think about for me. Jesus will come in visible form. And the reason I say this is fun to think about, let's turn to Revelation chapter 1 and read this. Revelation chapter 1. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. And even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. The reason I say that one's fun to think about, I'm going to make a, a radical statement up here, and that I believe the earth is spherical. The earth being spherical, if you think about how Jesus is going to be seen by every person on the earth, if I have a sphere, and I put a pin in it on this side, well, how do these people on this side see him? I don't know. I don't have the answers. But we can be assured, we can be assured that Jesus will come, as we've seen. And we can be assured, based on Revelation, that all will see him. Living and dead will see him. Another manner of his coming, he is coming without warning. We used to read this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I told you we'd be there a lot. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. You're not warned when a thief in the night is coming. You don't know when someone's going to break into your house. If you did, you'd be sitting there waiting on it. The Lord will come as a thief in the night without warning. And one of the most humbling manners of his coming is he's going to come if we're ready or not. If you're ready for a thief, thief comes. If you're not ready for the thief, the thief comes. Let's keep on reading. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read verses uh, 1 through 3. Let's pick up in verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. We can know that we have to be ready for Christ to return. That's the manner of his coming. He's coming in person. He's coming as he ascended. He is coming in visible form. He's coming without warning. And he's coming whether we are prepared or not. Now, we've looked at the assurance. We've looked at the time. We've looked at the manner. Let's look at the purpose. And the way I wanted to tackle the purpose is I want to look at what the purpose is not. And then we'll look at what the purpose is. So the purpose is not a many number of things. 
the teacher in me came out, I told Jacqueline. I wanted to make sure these are not. It's got the big circle with the cross on it. It's got the not capitalized and underlined, uppercase. This is not the purpose for his coming. And you can prove that with all of these passages. It is not to establish his kingdom. Christ coming again does not establish his kingdom. Turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 2. I know I put the whole chapter there. We're not going to read the whole chapter. But if we skim through Acts chapter 2, what we see is that the kingdom is already established. Christ is not coming to establish a kingdom because the kingdom is already established. If we look at Acts chapter 2, we can read through um, Peter's sermon. And what he does is make um, allusions to David and what the, the I believe it's Isaiah. Um, excuse me, it's Psalms. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand so I make your enemies your footstool. He alludes to that by saying, well, if David is a king and then the Lord has come and this is the Lord that he's talking about here in this psalm, well, kings sit on thrones. And that's Peter's main point by saying that let, uh, this is verse 36 of uh, Acts chapter 2. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord, that Lord is read Lord as in kingly kind of Lord, Lord and Christ. He is both king, and the Hebrew writer tells us, high priest, king, and savior. So he is not coming to establish any kind of a kingdom. We can turn uh, and read in... Uh, Colossians chapter 1, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. That is a, a present tense verb. He has conveyed us. That is not will convey us. That is has conveyed us. The kingdom is already established. In Hebrews 12, I put this one up there too, um, because as it reads, Hebrews 12, therefore since we are receiving a kingdom, that is not... It reads poorly in English. That is not, we will receive a kingdom. That is a receiving a kingdom. The kingdom is already here for us to be a part and to receive. And we can go other places. We can go in depth and go to, um, I put sit on David's throne. This is kind of tied up into the same thing. He's not coming to sit on a physical manifestation of a throne. He's not coming to uh, build up David's throne again. We know that from Luke chapter 1. Uh, let's turn there. Luke chapter 1 and verse 32 states that he will be great. He will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, there will be no end. But if you pair that with what we read in Acts chapter 2, let's, I'm going to turn back there. Acts chapter 2, and this is specifically verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. They knew what they had said. And they, even the Jews at this time and those who are um, going to be Christians hereafter still had this belief that Christ was going to sit on a physical throne. But Peter here, in the very beginning, when the kingdom is established, says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. He's both dead and buried. His tomb is with us. We know that he is dead. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, being David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we're all witnesses. 
Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, because, go back to the beginning, he's dead. We know where his body is. David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The throne that David is talking about is not a physical throne, as Peter points out. Peter says that this throne, this conquering, this conquering of death, being resurrected, being raised again. And you can go other places. You can go to Zechariah 6 and 13, which states that Christ would sit... Um, on a throne, that he would also rule as a priest on that throne, which uh, we can read of in Hebrews, being king and being a priest. We can go to Colossians 3, Romans 15, uh, all of these various places. I, I tell you, let's go to Romans 15. Romans 15, to show us that Christ is ruling on this throne now. He's not coming to do it when he comes again. He is ruling from this throne now. I have to turn to Colossians. I'm going to go there first. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And if we go on to Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15 says a similar thing. This is verse 12 through 13. And Isaiah says again, There shall be a root of Jesse, and you will rise above to reign over the Gentiles. Well, if Jesus is going to sit on David's throne. Why is, what is he doing reigning over the Gentiles? Well, he's sitting on his kingdom, which is the church, reigning over all of those who are subject to him, all of those who are Christians. Another thing that the second coming will not accomplish, uh, it's not going to restore the Jews to Palestine. And we can see this very plainly in the book of Joshua. Let's turn there. Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21 and verse 43 tells us very plainly that all of the promises concerning land to the Israelites, to that nation, to the Jews, have been accomplished. Joshua chapter 21 and verse 43, all the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities with their common lands, and every one of those cities had its common land surrounding it. We're in the giving of the land. Let's begin reading in verse 43 of Joshua 21. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. Notice, we're saying all, over and over and over again. All that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel Final phrase there, all came to pass. Every promise that God had made concerning land to that nation of Israel, to the Abraham and his descendants, was fulfilled at this time. So the second coming cannot be to restore the Jews to Palestine. All of the promises of land to this nation of, of, of Israel that we read of in the Old Testament has come to pass. There's also an idea that the purpose of his coming is uh, to give the Jews a second chance. Well, this flies flat in the face of uh, various passages. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, which states, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. 
Now part of that says everyone, Jew and Gentile, but the other part of that is who believes. It, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, if you reject God, well, when the second coming comes and we're, and we're separated into sheep and goats, well, the sheep will be those who have believed. It doesn't matter race, creed, ethnicity, creed, it's going to be creed of the, the gospel. But it doesn't matter who you claim to be, as long as you claim to be a Christian, but if you are on the opposite side of that, you will be lost. Hebrews chapter 9 reads, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. Christ is coming not to convert the Jews, not to restore land to anyone, not to sit on David's throne, not to establish a kingdom. And we've looked a little bit uh, earlier, not to begin a literal thousand-year reign. These are not the things that Jesus is coming to do in his second coming. So, what is the purpose of Jesus' second coming? It's very simple. He's coming to do these things. He's coming to raise dead, both good and evil. Let's turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 28. This is Jesus speaking here. John chapter 5 and verse 28. Jesus is talking about everlasting life. He's talking about judgment. He's talking about death and life and these things. And he says this in uh, verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And that goes to our second point, the second purpose that Jesus is coming. And that is to reward and sentence. We can really just put reward. You will get your reward. Whatever fruits you have sown, you will also reap. We think of reward in a kind of a positive light, rightly so, but reward can also be a negative light. If you are working the works of corruption, working the works of death, working the works of sin, you have a reward. Because you've done those things, your reward is death. But if we are working the works of things that are incorruptible, working the works of things that are righteous according to God, godly, then we will be rewarded with heaven at his second coming. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Looking at this reward and this sentencing. And really everyone will be sentenced to, hopefully we'll be on the side that is sentenced to everlasting life rather than everlasting condemnation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 states, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That can get into a little bit of application of what we should be doing if we know what the purpose is. We know that he is coming to deliver the kingdom to the Father. And if we think about this point in contrast to what we had earlier, he's not coming to establish a kingdom. The kingdom is already established. So what is Jesus doing with this kingdom? He's delivering it to the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20. I invite you to turn there with me and let's read this passage. <clears throat> but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. And we looked at this in our type and anti-type kind of class. 
For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ as coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. How is he to deliver the kingdom to God the Father if he's coming to establish a kingdom? That doesn't work. What Jesus is doing is giving up the kingdom to the Father. Let's keep reading. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So what will happen when the second coming comes? Well, everyone will be raised. Death will be no more. That is one of the last powers and authorities that will be done away with, is death, as we read here. He has to reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. And at that point in time, all enemies are under his feet. For he has put all things under his feet. And this is reading, God has put all things uh, under his feet. But when he says, all things are put under him, it's evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. That God is still head. God gives that authority to Jesus. God is not um, giving up any authority that he has. Christ is returning this to God. And now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in and all. Christ has authority over the church, but on that last day, that kingdom, the church, will be given up to God. And if we keep on reading otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead or the dead don't rise again? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? This is kind of that application point of getting the Corinthians to realize that you, some don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Well, if you don't believe in the second coming of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, well then our entire system for belief, our faith, is gone. Because it all points to this last day. So we've looked at a lot of things about the second coming of Christ. We've looked at the assurance. We are assured that Christ is coming again based on Christ's own words, the apostles' own words, the Holy Spirit through the inspiration of men, and also angels telling us that he'll come again. We've looked at the time, and hopefully no one is sitting down, down there writing a date for the time that he is coming. We do not know. It's coming as a thief in the night. Whenever it does come up, we sudden destruction so that no one can prepare for the time that it comes. What we can be doing in preparation is regarding the manner that he comes. The manner in which he comes. He's coming in person, we know. He's coming as he ascended. He's coming in visible form. He's coming without warning. And he is coming whether we are prepared or not. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3 as we near to a close. 2 Peter chapter 3. Seeing that Christ is coming again, we can be assured that he is coming again. And though we might not understand all the aspects of that second coming, the, the, the logistical, whatever, we might not have the, the capabilities with our rational thoughts to wrap our heads around, how is everyone going to see Christ? How is everyone going to hear that trumpet? We can be assured that it's coming. Second Peter chapter 3. Seeing that Christ is coming again, we have to be prepared. Let's read verses, starting in verse 10. 
The heavens and earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Those that are prepared for the day of the Lord, prepared for the second coming of Christ, should be watching for that, should be praying for that. In our prayers, we should, we should say, Lord, come quickly, because this life that we have on this earth, that we may look fondly, think fondly about in all of our memories, it is nothing compared to the day of God, and what we'll spend for eternity in heaven. Those that are unprepared have kind of the opposite thought. Those that are unprepared are thinking, give me another day on this earth. Give me another day here so that I can be doing whatever it is that I think I should be doing. We are not promised any hour past the one that we are currently sitting in. And it's for that reason that we need to constantly be checking ourselves, constantly seeing if we are approved by God. Because if he comes again and we are not ready, that's total destruction. That's eternal damnation. In our uh, singing this afternoon, we'll be singing about watching and praying. We'll be singing about... Um, I've got a prayer specifically that one of the men will lead, and they will specifically pray, Lord, come quickly. These are things that we need to be constantly thinking about, constantly preparing for. And if there's anyone in this audience this morning that is not prepared for that day, you can easily become prepared. What it takes is belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What it takes is confessing that. What it takes is belief in the Bible as the Word of God. And it takes baptism. Baptism being fully immersed in water for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And then from that point on, as long as you follow what's in this book, as long as you follow the, uh, the tenets that the, the, the uh, gospel writers and God himself through inspiration uh, of the Holy Spirit through men has left for us, well then, you know that you can be saved. You know when that second day comes that you will be accounted to righteousness. You will get that reward. We have a reward waiting for us. Um, if there's anyone who needs uh, help on that journey, who needs help claiming that reward, just come forward while we stand and while we sing the selected hymn.